welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I am joined by Fidel Bohill, the modern man coach. Welcome to the Divorce Club. Thank you. I've been in it a while now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess welcome to my version, podcast version of the Divorce Club. So how does that feel when I say to you, you are divorced? It feels cool. I don't have massive attachment to it. It was really odd. Thanks to my ex-wife, actually, a conversation. Because I think when we first were going through the divorce and, and I was like, you know, I can't help but feel that it's a little, I feel like a bit of a failure sort of thing. And she was, she coached me. She was like, no, like our marriage was not a failure. We spent 15 years together. We were 10 years married and it was very successful. And um, Esther Perel put it really well um, about how we judge, how we shouldn't judge a, a, the success of a relationship just on the amount of time it is, the length of time. And certainly since my divorce and looking back on relationships prior to it as well, I've had some amazing relationships that were just 24 hours, shorter than that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think as long as, as long as you like knowing when a relationship has come to its end point, I think is crucial to the success of the relationship overall. Some relationships just come to an end, you know, and it's got nothing to do with how successful it was. I think that's really interesting because, you know, you said you were together for 15 years. I was with my ex. Well, we were only married for like a year and a half. We were together overall for like eight years. So, um, yeah, I was uh, in and out. I mean, the divorce took two and a half years longer than (laughs) the actual marriage. So (laughs) um, the divorce was, was, I guess, 
Can you have a successful divorce, do you think? Because you're talking about success and failure in marriage. What does success and failure in divorce look like? We had a very successful divorce. We took the two years and bang on the two years. We applied for it and everything else like that. We did a, um, right at the beginning, we did the finances and paid for a solicitor to kind of draft that up. Listen, it wasn't all sunshine and roses, you know, there are still emotions attached. There were, we still had a few um, arguments and everything else like that. There's a couple of painful points um, for sure. But overall, I think it was a successful divorce. So I think, I think, yeah, you can. I know lots of people. In fact, I've written a book about it, um, how to do it, <laughs> funnily enough. But yeah, you can have a successful divorce. What does a successful divorce look and feel like to you? I think where you still retain respect and love. You know, I've still got a lot of love for my ex-wife. Um, it's just a different kind of love, right? I would still... Um, whenever I get on a plane or whatever, it's like, oh, who's the person you want us to contact? I still put her down. Really? She doesn't put me down, but uh, yeah, I still put her, because I'm thinking actually, you know what, my kind of family and stuff, not that I don't love them dearly, but like she's far more sensible <laughs> than any of those. Like if I know that she would kind of do, deal with, with that sort of stuff. And so, yeah, if she needs anything, I'd drop it. She's also the mother of, one of my children and, um, and like we had one each before we got married and we've got one together. So she's like always going to be part of my life. And like I said, we had a successful relationship. So I've still got love for her. And if she needs me, I'll be there. Um, so I think that's what a successful divorce is like. And uh, not just love, but also respect. And I think that's a bit that we can kind of lose through, div- through divorce and keeping an eye on maintaining respect. Love is a little less tangible. Um, and it's a little something that maybe you, you can't help. Does that make sense? Um, whereas respect is something you definitely choose to have or not. You know, you can choose not to respect somebody. And so I think if you if you work on the maintaining respect throughout the divorce of each other, I would say that's successful. I think that's that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because a lot of people who've maybe had a difficult breakup as in, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's been an event that was out of that person's control, like a, like cheating or something like that, or discovering a, a, some sort of lie that might make you lose respect for that person through the event. So I think it's interesting. I guess I would say, from my perspective, that a successful divorce is me coming out of it with respect for myself still. And I spoke to um, I spoke to Paul Roseby actually about this, and he said that that was one of the main things for him was coming out with, of the divorce still with a bit of dignity because he said he felt like he could be he could have you know really got into the anger of things and fighted for more and you know got down to the nitty gritty, and I think I definitely got into the nitty gritty, which maybe I shouldn't have in my divorce. But I think um, I've managed to now come out of things with, yeah, a bit of respect for myself and and I think respect for my ex. But I guess for me, my journey has been more about finding myself through the divorce, whereas it sounds that you have a really healthy relationship with your ex. I found myself through the process too. So it starts with you, doesn't it? In in some way. So if you're the one, look, 
like divorce involves two people okay it always involves two people and each one of those two people has to take responsibility for themselves first and foremost so if you're the one that's cheated or you're the one that's lied yeah and so the respect has been lost then it's on that person it's on you to regain that respect it's on you to apologize properly and honestly it's on you to rectify that it's on you to maybe not explain yourself but certainly put some work in you know to try and rectify and regain that respect especially if there's children involved like you got you got to make amends you know i think if you're the one that's done wrong you you've got to make amends and i see so many especially guys cuz um guys can quite easily do something wrong and then slip into victim mode because now they're being taken to the cleaners or they're not being allowed to see their kids and stuff. And my thing in my book and my way of working with absolutely everybody with all of my clients is just like the essence of masculinity for me is take responsibility. Like there's stuff that's going wrong, but you, you co-created this situation. Like even if at the very least you pick that person to get to marry in the first place, like that's the minimum. All right, but I'm telling you, you co-created the situation that you're in. You co-created the relationship. Your lack of boundaries, allow, and, and for the person that's being cheated on, your lack of boundaries, your lack of communication and stuff like that also contributed. And it's painful to hear that. And you, I've got to be very careful with the way that I approach that with, with my clients, certainly initially, until they get used to the concept. But, you know, own, own, own your shit on both sides. Oh, I, I, I like that. I think that's that's really interesting. The idea that, you know, yeah, there's two people involved in it and, um, you know. And you're one of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, usually. There's no, not yeah, normally well, yeah, four no, people usually. involved in it, but yeah, well, maybe in some. Quite often. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I went on a course recently learning about um, modern polyamory and different uh, forms of, of relationships with multiple people in but it's not legal to get married if there's more than two of you, is there? Yeah. No, I wonder if one day yeah, yeah, yeah. it will be and we'll yeah. have weddings with. Yeah, I, would, I, 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 I have zero doubt that, that's, that we will be heading into. We don't know. I mean, look, our generation and the previous generation, like we've only grown, we've only known one model and it, we're clearly rubbish at it. Look, the day that marriage was invented it was the same day that cheating was invented. Like human beings across the globe are absolutely hopeless on a sort of societal level. We have some individual examples of people successfully remaining monogamously married from high school until death. Like, but they are absolutely in the minority um, without ever cheating or doing anything else like that. It is time that we start to look at that maybe we can look at different norms for relationships you know maybe we are meant to be doing things a little bit differently and i look at the younger generation some of the stuff that i've been involved with post-divorce um i don't know if you've ever heard of killing kittens that organization i've kind of like been little i've run some workshops for them and i've been looked at that kind of polyamorous and and the modern um uh what's the word where you put all your keys in the bowl <laughs> swingers <clears throat> yeah modern modern versions of swingers yeah. are, which is killing kittens and that sort of stuff which has taken on a very different and most a lot of people there are kind of mid-30s and under um, like sex and, parties and, and, and yeah yeah and and people in their 20s and 30s now 
they're not buying into this that that we've bought into. You know, they're bringing a lot of fresh ideas and going, oh, we don't have to stick to that. I mean, and look at you lot. Our grandparents failed at it. Our parents failed at it. Why would we buy into this model that clearly doesn't work very well? Because we, we've kind of suffered through you lot mucking it all up. And what you showed us, you showed us how not to do it. So maybe we're going to find a new different way. So yeah, I think within a couple of generations, poly, polygamy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, being married to multiple people and stuff, I, I think we could very well see that in the future. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, that was a tangent, wasn't it? No, I like, I like it. It's interesting. <laughs> I like, I like the, I think we haven't really talked about the kind of, I always talk about on the podcast, my sexual explosion post my divorce, but we haven't really talked about that, like, um, you know, the sex party, because this is a phenomena now and it's a huge craze. Yeah. So many people are into it mm -hmm. and I love the idea of it. Um, um, if people don't know, there's, you know, these parties where you kind of get dressed up and you go and you could go as a couple or, you know, with friends. And then it's all very, you know, everyone's open to most things, but it's all very consensual and kind of controlled. And, and, and I think we like normal in air quotes. Um, couples have got a lot to learn from that type of environment and even things like bdsm and everything else like that where we talk about uh you know boundaries and consent i mean those guys have got all of that stuff nailed because in order to to go there you have to have these conversations like you have you have to understand consent and you have to have the language around it and you have to be uh treat it as a really normal thing to be able to to ask if something is okay or not and like most people just do not do that they do not have those conversations and so actually we've and and to the regret a lot of times you know some really bad things come out of not properly understanding consent and talking about it um but i'm not i'm not into bdsm myself but i have lots of friends who are and like i've i've looked into those communities and i've got people on my radar who I talked to have been on my podcast and I've been on, on, on theirs talking about it. And yeah, we, I think we've got a lot to learn from that about relationships as a whole. And just that level of real clear and ambiguous communication um, is something that could probably save a lot of marriages. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously the, the issue of consent is so important and it wasn't long ago that, you know, rape within a marriage wasn't a process. A prosecutable thing it wasn't against the law yeah, it was legal up until like it was like sort of 30 years yeah. ago or something wasn't it so yeah. um so i think that's really interesting and you know you call yourself the modern man coach so what does that mean what does the modern man mean and how do you talk how do you have these conversations you know with your clients about sex and consent listen what the modern man means i'm not going to try and put a although i do I, I know what it means to me, but I'm quite clear about it, that that's what being a modern man means to me. It isn't a prescription for everybody else. For me, it's more of a concept. It's more of a search. It's a quest to look at how, because whatever we've all been doing, marriages, relationships, being men, being women, the last kind of like hundred years, we've failed at it drastically, you know, and men and women, we were at this weird point where women uh, hitting their 40s and 50s and just going oh we got sold a bit of a duff thing here like we've kind of spent our life trying to be with men because we thought equality meant being the same or acting like men we had to do that in order to gain equality um, equality is absolutely vital we need it but sameness wasn't what we were after um, I don't think I don't think it's a great end, end 
outcome because I think we've got lots of unhappy people that are all a little bit lost. Men the same, which is like, oh, now we're not really comfortable with being men. We don't know how to do it. We're not, don't, feels like we're not even allowed to have that conversation anymore. Um, what does it mean to be a man? And, and it's coming out in lots of bad ways for men and women. And so my big vision is about bringing men and women back together again in a healthy way where we respect and love and appreciate each other's differences. But we have to find a new way. We have to find a new way because we don't want to go back to the 50s or the 40s or anything else. Like that. That's not that's not the way. Um, but we have to find a new way forward because I don't think as a society, either men or women, I'm speaking strictly in kind of size, gender, heterosexual language here because anything else isn't my zone of experience. Um, so I'm not excluding any of those people, but it's not my zone of experience and it's not on me to speak for them. So I'm only speaking to those people that can resonate or relate to words like men and women <laughs> and heterosexual um, relationship dynamics. <clears throat> but we have to find a new way. How do I talk about consent and sex with my guys? <sighs> men talking about sex is really interesting. Most men don't get to talk about it in an adult fashion. Down the pub. We talk about it and it's wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Woo. There's still a kind of one-upmanship about it. Like, you know, um, and the language around it is quite misogynistic. It doesn't do either parties any favor loaded with expectation on men to be good and be able to stay up all night and go all night and all this sort of stuff. Um, and kind of any holes of goal and all that sort of language, you know, there's a lot of that stuff about, but actually most men I encounter are riddled with insecurities around sex, riddled with a lack of knowledge or understanding about what they can do to improve it. Certainly within marriage, so many marriages are sexless or not satisfactory in that department. Um, and so just providing a space and opening up a safe environment and starting those conversations, I run a big men's group and we have a hump day sex question every Wednesday, which started off in the same way. It was all laughs and jokes. But over the last few years, it's become the most interactive post of the week. Actually, where guys are like, oh, hang on a minute. This is actually a place where I can say something here um, and can get some feedback and advice and see that I'm not a weirdo or I'm not having this problem all on my own. Um, it's massively important. And yeah, we talk about con consent around that. Consent's difficult, isn't it? No, it's not difficult. It's do you consent, yes or no? I'm not, yeah, so so I'm not saying the the idea of it isn't difficult, but the actual uh, implementing it is difficult for lots of people because it's not as simple as that because there's this place where we're in the heat of the moment. There's this romantic thing that people don't want us all of a sudden to stop. Are you okay with me putting in this in there, darling? Because we don't have the language and nobody, nobody's out there teaching it. Do you know, well, there are people out there teaching it, but it's not mainstream. It's not easily accessible. And nobody's going to Google, how do I ask if I can put it up a bum or something like that? Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I think, I think a lot of people... I don't know. I guess as a woman coming from my perspective, I'm like, for me, consent is really straightforward. Like I've been in super sexy situations and then someone has said, you know, it, can we have sex? 
And I've gone, yeah. And and for me, I don't think it does take out of that situation. And I guess from the perspective of a woman, you know, quite often we are, you know, if, if you're with a, a man or someone who identifies as male, you know, sometimes they can be bigger in stature than you. And so there is that kind of control thing. So I guess... I always appreciate when someone asks, even if it's in a sexy situation, although I know from some of my male friends that they are like, oh, I don't know how to, you know, broach it and things like that. So I think I think the yeah, you're right. The the view of it is that it's a difficult thing. The, the, in, so the re, and again, the reality is a bit like telling the truth. So part of my online program, I, I speak with the guys about telling the truth and I've just had. A guy who's on my online program just literally, he literally just left just in time, been around servicing my boiler. That's not an <laughs> innuendo. And um, <laughs> he, um, like, he's had a massive revelation about telling the truth. Like, and so many guys, they just don't get. It's like, oh my god, what? I actually told her the truth, and she didn't do all the stuff I've imagined her doing for the last fifteen years, which is why I lied to stop her from being mad at me. And now all of a sudden I'm telling the truth and she's actually telling me I'm more attractive. It's, it's that same thing. So guys are in their head going, oh, well, you know, women want all this romantic because our sex education is largely Disney movies, whatever we see, rom-coms um, and all this sort of stuff or porn, right? And at no point in any of those things does anybody stop and do consent properly, right? So like I'm saying, they the vision of it is this you know explicit kind of thing that doesn't need conversation because like she's there she's in the moment she hasn't said no she hasn't stopped me so therefore it must be okay right that's the kind of starting point that's where where the problem lies with consent is going guys you know you're not killing the moment in fact actually women find it more sexy when they're with somebody that they can trust who they know is going to ask permission do you know what I mean? Or they know is going to ask before they do something. Actually, if you start behaving like that, you're going to open up a woman to all kinds of stuff that you didn't even know existed. How long ago was your divorce? Only about two and a half years ago now. Yeah, the divorce has just gone through. So yeah, not, okay. not very long. So you're only recently official like me. Congrats. I guess so. Um. So how did you get into the kind of coaching side of things how did you get through the divorce and then come out at this motivational place uh well no i'd started the coaching coaching men and stuff like that before it was part of the process and was probably the reason why the divorce actually happened i think we probably would have carried on a few years more in this unless i'd have started i went on did some nlp training and stuff like that some stuff went wrong with my business so i give you the whistle stop story Please. i will start looking in rather than dipping in and out so i used to run a, a legal firm um doing wills and estate planning and it got into financial difficulties probably five years ago now and it wasn't the first time where when me and my wife first got together i lived in spain and i had a, a multi-million euro company selling hot water systems which ryan reynolds here from mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Also, which went wrong. We lost everything. Millions and 12 million euros we lost in the space of 12 weeks. Um, And I'm looking at my former million euro villa that I've got up there, the house that we used to live in. And we had all this stuff. And I lost it when my my daughter, my youngest daughter, was born over there, um, and that was all during that period. So she, she lost a lot of faith in me during that point, even at an unconscious level, because I've messed it up. So it seemed I didn't. It was there's a lot of parts to it. And so when this started going wrong in my other business, I didn't tell her. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell any of my colleagues. Didn't tell my staff. Didn't tell any of my business network, my brothers, my friends. Nobody knew. Um, and I ended up having a panic attack. Um, despite being very fit, I'm a competitive boxer. I was actively boxing at the time and training. 
Um, and I thought I was having a heart attack. And they took me to the hospital, did all my bloods and, and everything. And um, <clears throat> the doctor, fortunately, came down and went, I think you're having a panic attack. Is there anything stressful in your life? And I went, <laughs> pulled my heart out because it was a doctor that had had one himself. So I was really lucky. He kind of explained that I had that guy there. I have anxiety uh, too, and I've had panic attacks, and they're very scary, yeah. scary things. It was, yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's the first and the last one I've ever had. But I thought it was heavy. one of the reasons I didn't speak about it is because for me, it was very much attached to my sense of masculinity and my sense of a man in the community, as the breadwinner, as the provider, as an employer, you know, just who it was so linked to who I was as a man um so kind of unpacking that I went to some hypnotherapy and and stuff and uh and I, I went on an NLP course and I spent three years training as a, I'm now an NLP master coach master hypnotherapist uh time practitioner personal trainer did all these kind of qualifications and realized a I was in the wrong job anyway which is probably why I was self-sabotaging it and and so what what was I gonna do and I thought if that could happen to a man like me, who's got, I'm quite open anyway. Um, I was brought up by, by my mum mainly. My dad was always in the picture, but, you know, uh, he moved to Jamaica when I was 16. <clears throat> Prior to that, I saw him like every other weekend. He lived in London. We lived in Bristol. So my dad was always a presence in my life, but mainly my mum. And I was the youngest of her four sons. So, and she's very openly sort of feminist, uh, witch, uh, into the goddess and all of this sort of stuff. Um, so I had lots of like women around me all the time. So and and so were all of my brothers. But I had a bit unique because she had four sons. She was also quite um, aware enough to to teach us to be okay with being a bloke, even if some of her friends were quite anti man. And at times she was too. Um, it was like well, no, being a, being a man is is a good thing. It's a positive thing. You can do it. These are all here are all the good things. But also to really genuinely respect and understand women and femininity and all of this sort of stuff. So I kind of grew up with this inherent balance of I'm a, I'm a man, I'm cool with that, but I love and respect and understand women and appreciate them. Um, and I, I, I started to realize actually that I was quite unique in that way, that not a lot of men had that balance. And actually loads of men felt really bad about being a man or they didn't particularly like or appreciate or respect women. Um, and I think there, I was like, there's some, there's a place for me here. Women have always, um, gravitated towards me. Um, uh, yes, in, in part for relationships, they've always fancied me as something that's kind of happened ever since I was a little boy. So that's, I've always had to manage that. Um, and, <clears throat> and also as friends, I've given talks, uh, part of the Vote 100 thing where I was the only male speaker on a roster. I've done that a few times in my life. Um, I now run a women's group as well. So I'm the only man in 800 women. In fact, I'm the only man in three women's groups now. Two of them aren't mine. One of them is mine. Um, so I can say things and women will give me a bit of a, a pass a lot more than a lot of other guys. So I kind of, I've been blessed with this thing. I don't know. The opportunity to start these really uncomfortable conversations. Knowing that guys are a few steps behind and actually men men need to do some some work and men want to do some work men want to do some work they want to catch up they want to understand they want to know what's going wrong they want to play their part there are lots and a growing number of men who are looking to to learn about this sort of stuff um so that's that's how i ended up here and i was doing that previously 
so along with that came my own journey of understanding my masculinity and honesty and truth um and that start and once i kind of realized we'd got to the point in our marriage where you know we'd done the kids thing we made a great team for bringing up kids but now we were facing the rest of our lives as these two individuals without the kids to focus on anymore they were all getting older but did we want to do that and the answer was was kind of no no we both wanted to end up in different places in 10 15 years time we were both very different people um and so it was one of us was probably going to end up cheating or or doing something out of order so it was better to call it quits well we could and we're happily divorced and how was that you know because I, I had a similar thing with my ex in that we both kind of came to that decision of we could try and hang on for a bit longer. But, you know, yeah, one of us is probably going to end up doing something bad. Whereas now we both know that we, you know, we shouldn't be married anymore and we shouldn't be together. So we sort of sat down and had a very open kind of crying, hugging conversation about it and broke up. Um and for a long time, I felt because there's so many emotions that come with divorce. Um, and for a long time, I felt like I couldn't be angry because it wasn't like one thing he did that I could be like, he did this. And that's why we're divorced, because there was no <laughs> he did it all yeah. wrong. Um, and, and, and eventually I realized that I could just be angry that, you know, that nice thing had gone wrong and that was annoying and horrible, but I'd get over it. Um, but how did you, how did you deal with that time? Cause I think it must be so interesting going through really intense emotions, having had all the training you've had about coaching other people through intense emotions. You d- Yeah. And my thing was, you just got to allow it like, you know, um, I didn't try and coach her through it. I'm not quite sure how she managed it. I, I think she found it a bit difficult. Um, but I think actually the divorce really opened up her emotions and connected her to them a lot, a lot more. Um, how did I manage it as a, I, I managed it like a project. Like I looked at myself and I went deep on every single moment of it and explored it all to make me a better coach. Um, I remember one bit when <laughs> I think it was after about six months or something like that or eight months. And I messaged her and said, look, you know, we, we haven't kind of sat down and had a talk since we've split up. Um, we should probably do that. Should we want to go out for dinner or breakfast or something like that? So we met in a cafe and had breakfast. And like, we just kind of were having this conversation. And, and I got, before we did it, she was like, is there something you've got to say? Because you just tell me now. Like, you don't, we don't need to go out and have dinner about it. Like, just tell me. And that, there was, all, we always had this running joke that I would, if she died or we divorced, I'd go straight into another relationship, which is probably true because at the time, unless I'd done all the stuff that I'd done in this masculinity work and, and all of that, I was quite a needy, nice guy. So I probably would have just found another woman to go and feed that part of me that wasn't healed. Um, and so she was fully expecting me to tell her that I was going into a new relationship. And I was like, no, no, I'm not. I didn't tell her the nitty gritty, but I was out having way too much fun. And um, she was like, oh, well, I am. And I was like. <laughs> Flawed. Boom. Like I was not expecting that because the other half of the joke was that she would stay single forever. Like, you know, because she was quite heartless and shut down. Like, you know, and I, I, the, a couple of issues were like I knew the guy. And he was also 
quite hard as well like you know i mean I'm, i can handle myself but he's he's quite hard and he looked a bit like me and I, I knew who it was she'd seen him before we'd ever met um and i'd realized that he'd been around the house a couple of the times when i'd gone there like with his van parked in my spot on my driveway in my bed that we'd bought back from spain i'd bought in my house sleeping in my life <clears throat> and it was this like I didn't want to be back with her again, but there was this like massive, that was probably the biggest emotional bit for me. It was just like, wow, this jealousy, this massively triggered, wanting to fight, like, do you know what I mean? This possessiveness, all this, which I knew was wrong, but it went on for ages. Went on for a while, sleepless nights and all that sort of stuff. But I, I, I went deep with that because I knew it was something that a lot of guys I worked with was going to, was going to go through. And loneliness as well, you know, and moving into somewhere. I stayed with my mum, which is what a lot of guys do. Losing the big house. I'm still only in a little flat. She's over there in the big old four bedrooms. You know what I mean? My old house. Uh, that's a thing where you where you have to go, but that's still a work in progress. Um. <laughs> it's so funny hearing it from your perspective because I'm still in the house. So my ex went to stay with his mum. I'm still in the house. He's just bought a new house. But I remember him saying at one point, like, you, you know, you've got to keep, the lovely house and I've just had to move on but then equally I was like well yeah but I've got to keep the lovely house that has all of your possessions in and all of the things we bought together like constant reminders and you've got to have a brand new start and like find a brand new place so it's all like it's it's always interesting hearing it from the other perspective because you always think you have the worst deal yeah, yeah. Grass has always been it right but how did you get through that emo that jealousy that you're talking about and that kind of it sounds like ownership of like, he's in my parking spot in my house. It was totally ownership. Yeah, it was total that people would may, may call it toxic masculinity, shadow masculinity, whatever it was. It was totally that testosterone driven possession. My house, my kids, my woman, my, even though I didn't want any of it anymore anyway. Do you know what I mean? Dog with a bone stuff. Um, I just sat with it all and I still prescribed that as the, as the best way to be sort of trying thinking we have to get over it or making it go away as fast as possible isn't actually the answer because what it usually entails is repression and when we repress this stuff it lasts for longer and it will sneak out and slither out in various other little ways um and snarky comments to your kids and all that sort of stuff um it, it won't help you the, for me the best way to to overcome those emotions is to sit with them accept them for what they are don't be embarrassed don't feel guilty about having them it's part of the process you're gonna go through it you're gonna feel like that some people don't but like you know if you do it's fine it's normal it's natural sit with it you will know when you've been doing that too long and you're becoming obsessive um so i, I give my clients something called obsess appointments um so i go well look if you're overdoing it actually just put it in your diary just go right well then later on tonight i'm going to sit there for two hours i'm going to stalk her facebook i'm going to look at all her instagram pictures do you know what i mean i'm going to and him the one that's sleeping with her and everything i'm going to look at her i'm going to i'm going to let my imagination absolutely run wild of them her having much better sex than she ever had with me and him doing things to her that i never got to do but always wanted to i'm just going to let my mind run with it all and then the alarm's going to go off and then i'm going to stop and i'm going to put it in my diary again for tomorrow and those 
appointments get shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. I like that. Diarise your obsessions. Obsessed appointments. I'm telling you, they're absolutely brilliant. It's a real game changer. I can't do it with Netflix shows, though, can I? Because I have to binge <laughs> it for 12 hours. Um, I weirdly had the um, opposite reaction. So I I guess I thought my ex would jump in straight into a relationship and he did. And I knew. Yeah. And I knew the person I'd met her before and I actually just felt bad for her because I knew that he hadn't healed and that it was going to and that she wasn't going to be happy by the end of it so I and that and that ended and now he's in a long-term relationship but what is so weird because I'm quite an obsessive person like with shows I'm obsessed with knitting I've knitted like four jumpers during lockdown (laughs) um I have I can't remember her name his girlfriend and I've not looked her up at all which for me is like I'm shocked at myself yeah yeah. it's just just not entered my psyche when women do it they can be like hell hath no fury and all of that so don't get me wrong so my ex gave me a kind of list of women she's like anyone but these ones (laughs) Right, because otherwise, these these were women who she thought I'd I fancied, or had had an affair with, or had done something with, or whatever during our the, the kind of last bits of our our relationship. None of them were true. None of them were true, um, which is also amusing. Um, but she was so I was never going to. She was like, "There's this look, just anyone but these ones. I'll be cool with it." Uh, yeah, when women do it, they can do it bad like you know it can i, I mean i look at my mum like when my dad my her mum and my dad split up um you know my mum went round and buried an axe in the door like <laughs> you know? actually yeah actually oh, like, you know? wow. <laughs> so like <laughs> i i've seen firsthand not just her but again i've experienced guys who i've worked with and women who i've worked with like when women do do it it, it they can do it real bad but and again i think personally they're tapping into that masculine energy when they're do, when they're doing it you know that obsessive thing i think actually what you've done is a much more feminine way of doing it and i think guys we all have a mixture of both by the way um and, and it's cool and so i think guys guys can also be like that. they're like oh it's cool you know I, and i get quite a lot of guys going do you know what i just feel sorry for him like you know um and I, i'm at that point now <laughs> not 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 feel sorry for them but i'm totally detached from it now um from, from her and her relationship it was the first one and because i i knew who it was you know there was just a few things there and i wasn't quite sure if i could beat him up or not as well <laughs> you know so there was this kind of thing to my ma- again to my masculinity with this like feeling i love of, like, that with guys it's like can i beat them up and i yeah. i think with women i mean we're talking very sort of gender stereotypes aren't we so we should also shout out to my non-binary and trans yeah, yeah. Uh, love lovely people but um i think yeah men are always like can i on the whole like can i beat them up and women are like am i more attractive than them it's not like I don't even want to come into con. I don't want a bitch slapper. I just to like, am I? Is she more attractive than me, or has he gone younger, or you know all of those things? But I, yeah, I weirdly, I don't know why. I think disassociation was my way of maybe protecting myself. But I weirdly just, yeah, didn't feel jealous. I think I'd obviously got to the point in the relationship though where I was like, really, oh, over it when it ended. So. I didn't feel jealous at all. I just thought, 
well, at least he's not going to be wringing me crying. <laughs> and men do it a lot, don't they? I mean, I do, I've, I've written a whole chapter in the book about it. Don't seek solace in the arms of another. Like so many guys just jump out of one relationship and straight into another quite often that will there'll be an immediate pregnancy and all that sort of stuff as well. I mean, quite often towards the end of the relationship, they'll have set it up before the end, um, you know, and that will be the catalyst rather than telling the truth. They'll kind of self-sabotage the marriage by having the affair and making, make, not hiding it very well, you know, um, and stuff like that. But yeah, loads of guys do it and hop, hop straight into another relationship, which very often doesn't work out for very long. Why do you think that is? Because they haven't done the work. Like they haven't. So like, it's like a things. plaster. Yeah, plaster for sure. You just there's a couple of things, interesting things happen, isn't there? When you when you there's a neurological thing. So when you're in a long-term relationship, like your brain, your neuropathways, every decision you make, it might not seem like it for a lot of women who are married to men. Um <laughs> But every decision that you make, whether it's for having lunch or whether you're going to work late or, you know, whatever, there's a little bit of your brain that goes, how will that affect my partner, right? Just a little bit of a detour that it goes around and plays out the little scenario. You can, lots of people just override it and go, I don't care, but it happens. Well, yeah, I I feel like a lot of women who've been married (laughs) to a certain type of man will be like, I feel like he didn't have that neurological (laughs) pathway. But then, like, then when you're on your own, this is this whole thing about loneliness. Your brain is just like, uh, uh, we need to replace, 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 because <coughs> we don't know how to do that, where, we, where we're not thinking, not taking somebody else's feelings into consideration of our decisions. So they'll just replace it rather than going through the thing of rewiring their brain. The other problem that happens is if you're single for too long, you totally rewire it. And then the thought of having somebody in there again is a massive issue. It's kind of where I am now, really clocking that little bit. I'm like, the other thing you do is after you split up, weirdly enough, I didn't do this, but that's mainly because of my, my line of work and I was aware of it, but my ex did, which is you go back to your last point of reference when you were single. So quite often that leads to drink, drugs, clubbing, sleeping around, titty bars, you know, or staying up all night gaming, whatever you did. Oh, the last time I was single, I was 20. That's the last known connection that I had with me as an individual person. So I need to find out who I am again. So they just go back to their last point of reference. That's interesting because I, I think people would might say that I did that, but actually I think I was more... <laughs> more party than I was when I was 20 after I got divorced. <laughs> yeah, you can I was like, it's easier to do when you're older and you've got more money in there. <laughs> yeah. I was like more, more of the more of the sexual explosion. Yeah, more of the kind of going out and having fun. I think I always had so many worries when I was 20. I don't know why. I was a warrior and um a warrior and a warrior. Yeah. A and O. Um, but yeah, I, th- I feel like when I got divorced, I was just like, I'm free. D- what What did you, so you avoided that, did you? Because you knew you didn't have a sexual explosion. Oh, I did have a sexual explosion, but I didn't, it didn't involve going out. I, I, I did enjoy myself, but it was done very consciously. You know, I did go out partying a bit, you know, because I could, but it was that it wasn't on a quest to refine myself. I knew that very well that I was a very different man to who I was prior to my marriage and during it 
and actually it was an opportunity to to really like, look at who who I was and who I wanted to be and where I wanted to go. So I was doing that as a project um, separately. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I, I mean, like, ooh, before there was no such thing as like Tinder and Bumble and online dating. There was certainly no killing kittens. There was no like thing. And and also the prospective partners. Like dating, did an interview about this yesterday. Like dating post divorce is is a whole other ball game, right? It's the women, for a start, you know, not a chap line, but something I always say, I say to women is that actually you come across mature women who they've got their they've got a house, had the kids, you know, they've got a career, like you know they're enjoying their freedom. They've just got rid of one guy, annoying bloke. They don't want a guy to move in and start dropping his pants all over the floor again. Actually, what a lot of women are looking for is just. I want someone intelligent to have some conversations with, adult conversations with, when my kids have gone to their dad. You know, I want somebody who's going to, like, take me out and, and, and treat me well and have great sex with. But, like, actually, so many women aren't looking for commitment. Like, and we're programmed. Guys are programmed. Even I did this, and I'm conscious of it. I was, um, I had lots of kind of, like, friends with benefits, casual relationships. I was really open and honest with them about. And there was one particularly lovely woman who I saw for for a very long time, kind of drifted apart a bit now. But um, I remember doing that to her. We'd been seeing each other maybe about a year casually. And I was like, this bit in my brain was like, oh, this is the limit now. She's going to want you to commit and check up. And so I kind of like broke up with her. And then she came to visit me one day and she was just like, I was like, okay, so this is why I did it. And she was like, what the hell? why didn't you just speak to me about it? Because nah, like I'm kind of, I'm fine with it being the way that it is. And I will tell you when I'm not. Thank you very much. And I was like, okay. Yeah, that's very, I I had a lot of, I think guys who expected me to want to get married again straight away or like, I don't have any children. So, you know, from my marriage. So we're thinking, oh, she's going to want a baby in a minute. And I was like, no, I literally want the opposite of that. Like I'm single and I'm having a nice time. And I think it's funny, those sort of stereotypes that we have in our mind and getting over them. They're, ing- they're ingrained. It's probably even more. It's this the collective unconscious, as Jung would say. Like, you know, this is a societal f- blueprint that we've that we've got, which is like this idea that women want romance and then you go out with them for so long and then they want commitment. And and it's when you realise that that's not the truth, and actually women are out there exploring their own sexual freedom and uh, and having fun, like you know, and you can be a provider of that for as long as it's short. But actually, what counts the most is is honesty and good communication, like you know, asking the questions, not being afraid of like getting it wrong or not being afraid of of hearing the answers, you know, and being prepared to walk away or, or whatever. Um, it's been a really interesting time. I've, I've had a fabulous time. I've met some amazing women. Um, it's still made loads of friends um, with with lots of them as well. And it's it's been a blast. Probably getting to the point now where I'm kind of done, done with that. I think I've said before on the podcast, I've got to the point now where I'm like, I'd quite like to have an interesting conversation mm. with the person that I'm also sleeping with as opposed to just sleeping with them and having a nice time. So I feel like, yeah, I'm getting to that point. Um, so do you remember your lowest moment? 
in your divorce or after your divorce or that time that, you know, it really hit you? I always talk about crying on kitchen floors because that's my thing. I cried once. So there was once where we had, we'd had an argument. We had gone round. Had I gone I'd either taken my, my daughter back or I was picking her up or I was leaving. It was quite early on in it. And we'd had, we'd had an argument like in front of her. And I'd left. My daughter had come running out of the house and was like, Dad, like, Daddy, don't go stuff. And they even just talking about it. It's like, <laughs> um, that, that, that was it. And that was the moment where afterwards, when we reconciled after that, we were talking about the failure stuff. Um, and that was just like, man, you've messed this up, boy. Like, what have you done to your daughter? What are you doing to the other two? Like, why are you walking away from this house? Why are you walking away from this woman? Like, you know, what what have you done? Like, this is gonna end in this is this is how it's gonna be now. You know, it's gonna be a mess. Um, that was my first point. Yeah, I sat in the car and cried. I cried a few times for sure because you grieved, don't you? grieve the relationship not even yeah. the person you grieve the relationship and again there's that bit of neurology where you're just so used to coming home to your family even if it's shit you know people sit in uncomfortable comfort zones all the time right because change is way more scarier um and then when you're out of it you romanticize it a bit don't you you know especially if you're back at your mum's yeah. house whatever is that what am i done <laughs> what am i doing and how, how did that feel moving? How old were you moving back in with your mum? I'm like 42. I was only there temporarily. Like we kind of had had a had a plan, but it took it took a while to for it to for me to get the flat and stuff like that. But yeah, that's a process for guys, man. Like moving back in with your mum, it's just such a castration and emasculation, like, you know. I know loads of guys that are just, they won't even go dating. They won't even dip their toe in the dating pool because they're back at their mum's. It's just like, no, no, I can't possibly, couldn't possibly tell a woman that I'm living at my mum's house. Like, why would they want me then? And it's like, dude, like, you know, actually, if, you, if you're honest with them and it, they, it's a temporary solution and you know that like, you can do it confidently with no knowledge that you've got a plan, you're not going to be there for long, they'll be fine with it. Like, you know, get a hotel or whatever. You know, it's cool. But there's a lot of guys, they, it, it, it's such an emasculating experience, especially depending on, on your mum as well, like whether they contribute to that and properly mother you and do all your washing and all of that, like, you know. Oof. It sounds um, nice to me. It sounds like a hotel. Well, it is, and that's the worrying thing about it, isn't it? On the one hand, it's really nice, but you're a bloody 40-year-old man now, like, you yeah. know. And, and contrast to that, do you remember a moment you know, when you thought, oh, I'm going to be okay, like divorce life, it's all right. So, like, apart from the the initial blast where I just went out and was kind of like sleeping around and all that sort of stuff, um, <clears throat> I think it probably took just over a year. Well, I kept a little diary of, of actually, uh, I think even though my divorce was very amicable and stuff like that, I think people... Um, underestimate the impact that it has on you and the drain it can take on you like it's a big deal like especially the longer you were married the bigger deal it is it's a big deal emotionally and mentally for you and again people think they're just going to get over it like that and even for somebody like me with all the skills and everything it took i probably again i probably stretched out a bit because i was taking one for the team um 
but it was just over a year. And I remember noting my energy levels going up and up and up. You know, when I first moved out, my energy levels were about, I was just like, where's my major? Why am I still in bed? Like, I'm not this guy. And then I was like, oh, okay, it's, it's this. It's a grieving process. This is what I'm going through. And I got up to, and I bounded out of bed one morning. This is a bit of sweet tale. Banned out of bed in the morning and I was like, bam, this is it. I'm like 95%. This is me. I'm actually feeling me. Like I've gone through it all. Like this is the new dawn. It's a new day. Hallelujah. And I went into the front room and my dog just wasn't himself. And I, I like I started noticing him and it was on that day that he declined it was almost like he'd done his job i had a big dog jackson he's 10 and a half stone half bull mastiff half foot one beautiful dog i took him out to the vets a couple of days later and they, they were like he's got cancer we can do all these operating and stuff like that and i had to have him put down because it was for him it was almost as if he stayed alive long enough to get me through the divorce and it was like the day that i woke up and i was just like ta-da it was like cool my job is done i've got you through this you don't need me anymore um i'm off now um, so it was a bit of a bittersweet kind of thing, but yeah, I do remember. I remember it. I remember that little process. I think pets can be so amazing. I've spoken about this lots on the podcast during those really difficult times. Like I had two cats called Victoria and Albert, and um, yeah, and they were amazing. But then Albert died oh. during divorce proceedings, and I remember at the time being like ridiculously upset. Because my dad died just before I got married. Then obviously I got married, was getting divorced. And then my male cat died. And so I put so much on this, like all the masculine energy in my life is leaving me. And like, all they're all gone. And I was like devastated about this cat dying. Um, but he was amazing. And I still have Victoria, Queen Victoria. Yeah. Um, and it was historically accurate that Albert would die first, so it's fine. Um, how how did you come about writing the book then? I, it was partly my kind of like notes um, of all the stuff I'd done wrong, um, for sure, and stuff that I'd learned about masculine and relationships and so forth, um, and guys that I'd coached through the process and helping them get it right. And I kind of wrote out i did it on linkedin i think it was a, 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 a whatever you call it on linkedin not a post you can do the other bits a blog or whatever it was on linkedin my kind of like top 10 tips for successful divorce and somebody said you should, that should be a you could write a book about that i was like actually it's a really good idea because i get asked about it all the time so what's the book called and where can people get it uh it's called divorce a modern man's guide uh people can get it from amazon just put my name in Fidel Bohill or stick in Divorce Man's Guide and stuff like that into Amazon and it'll pop up. Um, it's available on Kindle and paperback. And at some point in the next couple of months, I'm going to record it on uh, as, as an audible in my dulcet tones. The world needs that. <laughs> Lovely. <clears throat> but I've got a load of w- brilliant feedback from women. Loads of women have been buying the book. Um, it got to Amazon number uh, bestseller. And Congrats. R- like through loads of women buying the book weirdly enough and then buying another copy and surreptitiously giving it to the their soon-to-be ex or their ex (laughs) (laughs) Um, but then you know how you said it was interesting to hear the other perspective and i think that's what they're getting they're like ah now it all makes sense like you know and so as women tend to be especially in that 
where the polarity is twisted. <laughs> Women are quite often taking the responsibility of the divorce as well and going, right, well, if I know how he's feeling, I can <clears throat> try and temper that a little bit and help him help him through it. Yeah, it's so interesting. I think the feedback I get to when I have men on the podcast from uh, the, some of the women who listen is amazing because it is so n- nice hearing things from, you know, the other perspective. And I think there aren't many men I've contacted who are divorced who feel that they can talk about it for whatever reason. So it's, I really appreciate you coming on and, and kind of sharing your story. It's a pleasure. I think, and that was actually, you reminded me, that was the point where I decided that something needed to be done. Because while I was going through my divorce, I looked for resources specifically for men. And there were a lot of podcasts and so forth by women. There were a lot of books out there specifically for women. Um, there were lots of stuff out there for couples. Um, and the stuff out there for men were either about kind of finances and legal stuff and making sure you can see your kids. Um, so there's stuff like, ah, don't lose all your money, like, you know, take care of all this stuff. Like, this is what happens if she stops you from seeing your kids. Or there was, there was some stuff, but it was very Americanized. Um, there wasn't actually anything out there that was helping men mentally and emotionally to navigate that and try and prevent it from getting all the, um, that. There, was, there, there wasn't a lot out there, which is why, why I wrote the book. It was, it, there's nothing, there's a few bits in there about legals and financials, but mainly it's just how to navigate all of that stuff and keep yourself sane and full. Which is so important. And I know a lot of men listen to the podcast and I've had messages from them. So, I'm sure. you know, I hope they uh, enjoy your book. Because um, obviously, yeah, I, I am female identifying. So I talk about a lot of things from my perspective, but it's so nice to have lots of different stories. And that's why I started the podcast, basically. But yeah, so let's all check out the book. And the modern man coach, Fidel Bohill. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Samantha. Now we're going to go and do the school run. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, it would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going uh but also it affects our listing in the podcast charts uh which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast and i'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times and they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts so if you'd like to leave a review i'd love you forever you can leave them on itunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well i'll take all the reviews you've got to give you can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com, and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month. And it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room. And there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines. And please leave a review. Did I say that already? 
already, please leave a review. Love you forever.